you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> John writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, as we have by your providence, embarked upon a journey through this wonderful book of testing in light of our assurance of salvation. I thank you for all the growth that you have brought through this as you sanctify us through your word, as you have increased our love for one another, as you have placed in our hearts to be obedient to your commands. Oh God, I pray today that you would be gracious to us uh, through your word and reveal sin in our lives that as we see the practical outworking of this assurance in action, Lord, I I pray that you would help me. I can do nothing apart from you, O God. I stand a fool to speak apart from your Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord, that you would use me as an instrument uh, for your glory, and I pray, O God, that you would give ears to hear this morning, hearts that are open, minds that are attentive to your word, O God. And I pray that as your word goes forth, it would bring lasting fruit into our lives for your glory, for the sake of your great name. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, this book is a test. As if you were here uh, when we started it, however long ago that was, it all runs together anymore, right? I mean, it seems like we finished the book, the, the Gospel of John yesterday or the day before, maybe, right? We've covered many books since then, but I lose track of it. So, however long we've been in the book of First John, uh, Pastor James began that with an overview, right? And and in that we talked about this book being a a, a book of assurance of our salvation and, and, and how John here is placing test after test before us, right? And so today we, we get to, to in, light of, in light of our assurance, we, we kind of, we, we have bookmarked here, by this we know, shall know, by this we know, right? And there's, arguments as to to what's he talking about there all that's before or 
or in between the two, this we knows, and it's both and, right? He says in verse 19, by this we shall know. He says in verse 24, by this we know, right? And sandwiched in between these like, like brackets, right? Is this practical, really uh, practical outworking of this, of this assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> I want to begin by uh, perhaps you guys remember that famous childhood theologian Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> Not exactly a theologian, but gave wise words, right? Uh, or, or, or so the fairy did. But he, he uh, affirms them in this song, always let your conscience be your guide. Right? Always let your conscience be your guide. Which can be good, which also can be bad, right? Um, this text starts out today with we shall know. Uh, we will know, right? To know, to be with knowledge is the definition of conscience. Conscience means with knowledge. Con, with, science, knowledge. So the conscience is, must be informed by God, right? Uh, if your conscience has been informed by the world, if you are with the world's knowledge, you should not follow your conscience and let it be your guide. Not, not good, not safe, right? But rather, we need to be informed by the word of God, right? And John is, John is doing that, right? He, he's given us these tests to make sure that our conscience has been informed by God so that we will walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Right. And what John has been doing is exactly that again. He has been informing our conscience. He wanted to make sure that because of the false teachings that had been going on in the churches in that day, he wanted to make sure first and foremost that salvation is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other name. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Uh, uh, and, and if we pass that test, we move on uh, to, to the next test, right? Which is, which is walking in the light, right? Are you walking in darkness? Or are you walking in the light? Right? We keep on seeing this. If then, if this, then that, right? These dichotomies, these contrasts between light and dark, uh, righteousness, not righteousness, uh, love, hate, right? All these contrasting things that we have seen throughout the book of John. And what he's doing is he is informing our conscience against the lies of the enemy. Because again, there's two ways to really screw up your conscience. For it to be, uh, take the truth and mingle it with a lie. And we see that today in many places, right? As, as people who call themselves ministers of the gospel and, and, and Christian leaders and pastors are affirming things that God says is evil. Uh, LGBTQ stuff, for instance, right? They are softening it, saying, oh, well, God loves everybody. Right. And it's 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 he. Yes, God loves. There's a little bit of truth in that statement. Right. But it's mingled with a lie. And if that makes its way into our conscience, we now have 
a conscience that is misinformed. And John has been seeking to correct this in regards to salvation and our assurance of salvation. Uh, the other problem we can run into is a seared conscience, right? And that is, that is when um, you, you, you ignore the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible warns us not to quench the Holy Spirit, right? Not to ignore the Holy Spirit. And, and, when, and when we are convicted of sin, when our conscience says, no, that is wrong, and we continue in sin, pretty soon our conscience just goes, he ain't worried about it, right? It's, it's seared, right? We, we, we lose the, it's, it's like people who become addicted, especially to, to pornography, right? And the first they feel like it's evil and over time they become desensitized to that thing and many other sins. They have a seared conscience and John here is informing our conscience. He's informing our conscience because he wants us to know. As Pastor James has said from the beginning, he wants us to know, to have assurance of salvation. To have assurance of salvation. Sadly enough, there are many saints today that, that, that believe that you can lose your salvation. There's no hope there. Right? He who calls us keeps us. He will keep us to the end. He will raise us up on the last day, he says. And John, John is writing this book so that we'll have assurance, so that we will certainly know, right? We, we've talked about most recently, how, how do we have assurance, right? Uh, 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 several weeks back, it was, it was because we're righteous. Uh, we have his righteousness, right? And we're working that out. It's not perfect, right? We talked about that this little bit more this morning in Sunday school. Our righteousness is not, it's not perfect, but we have been granted the righteousness of Christ by faith. And we are trying to become like that, right? We are seeking to be holy as he is holy. And as we do that, um, that is assurance to us that, that we are in Christ, right? Uh, and as Pastor James preached last week, uh, love. We'll be known by our love for one another, right? And so as we are loving the saints, upholding the saints in prayer and by their physical needs and, 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 and fellowship, and we're just, we are loving God's people, right? And that is an assurance to us that we are in the faith. And I think that many people, though, wonder, you know what I mean? Man, I, what about when I fail the test? Do I still have assurance? Right? Uh, you know, I'm, I struggle. Do I, do, I, do I still pass the test? Right? Do I still have assurance? And today we see some practical things uh, concerning our assurance. And so today's title is We Will Know. We will know. We will know. And the first thing we see is in verse 19 through 21. Uh, and, and the first heading here is we will know when our conscience is ruled by God. We will know, that is to say, we will have assurance, right? That's what we're talking about here by we will know. We will have assurance when our conscience is ruled by God. Look at this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. We shall know, right? That what? We are of the truth. He is the truth. What did Jesus say? I am the way. The truth, the life. Let God be true and every man a liar, right? 
God is the author of all. God is holy. There is none like him. He and he alone is God. He is creator, right? He, he, he has created all that is. And what God says is, is God is truth, right? And we shall know that we are of God, of the truth, right? And reassure our heart before him. Oh, doesn't that sound good? We, that we will know that we are truly of God, right? That we will have, be able to reassure our heart before him, right? He says in uh, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. For whenever our heart condemns us, right? What is, convicts us, uh, shows us unrighteous, right? Whenever our heart condemns us, right? That, that inner man, that inner being, the, the conscience, right? That which is connected to the mind, right? The, the heart and mind are so knitted together that they're inseparable. That's the point of Hebrews 4, that the word of God pierces deep, right? It even divides soul and spirit. They're so connected that they're undividable, but by the word of God, right? And if the mind is the engine, then the heart is the, the, the fuel tank, right? If, if the mind is the processor, uh, uh, then the heart is the database, right? The heart is the, the deep-seated inner being of, of man, I don't know if those analogies are entirely true. They just came to mind just now. So, but they're connected, right? They're connected. For whenever our heart, that inner person, that voice on the inside, that which is connected to the mind, that deep-seated place within us, when it condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Sometimes our judgments are right on. And sometimes our judgments are not, right? Nevertheless, the first point we see here is that God informs our conscience of his grace when we can't overcome our guilt, right? Sometimes we may ask, do I have assurance because I've fallen? Maybe I haven't passed the test, right? After all, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and when you sin, he doesn't want you to be forgiven. He wants you to wallow in your guilt. We kind of got into this in Jonah this morning. Why did it take him three days to repent? Right? God informs our conscience of his grace when we can't overcome our guilt. We see an illustration of this, and I brought it up this morning in John chapter 21. Right? We have the disciple Peter right? The greatest of the disciples, probably, right? The one that Jesus said, Peter, upon you, I will build my church. You, the rock, Peter, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Uh, Peter, James, and John were the closest of the disciples. It would be Peter that would stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim the good news of the gospel and see thousands come to faith in Jesus. The patriarch of our faith, in the church of Jesus Christ. The foundation of it was this man, Peter. But before that, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? Uh, uh, a sin, uh, 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 a 
a failing that was so tormented his soul that even after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he still did not feel restored and he wallowed in his sin and his pity, right? He, 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 his, his heart condemned him. His heart condemned him. He was, could not overcome the guilt of denying his Lord, even though the Lord said he would do it. He heard the rooster crowed. He made eye contact with Jesus and his heart melted. He was broken man. And he couldn't overcome it. He couldn't shake it. Jesus, is for 40 days is after his resurrection, meets with his disciples many times. And it's not until John's the only one that gives us the account. But in John chapter 21, uh, they're, they're, the, they've gone back to fishing. Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. Right? I'm not worthy to be a disciple anymore. I'm going to go back to what I once knew. I'm going to go fishing. And because he's a leader, the rest of them follow him. And they're fishing. They've caught nothing. And somebody shows up on the bank. Hey, I'll catch anything. No. Cast on the other side. Right? And they catch these fish, and immediately Peter looks up and says, It's Jesus. Throws off his garment, dives into the sea, and swims after Jesus, right? And, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me a second time? Right? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Hey, Peter, a third time, do you love me? And he says the same thing that John says here, and he knows everything. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. In other words, Jesus, you know my heart better than I know my heart. I failed you. You know I'm in guilt, and I hate it. But you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter found restoral that day, right? Peter found restoral that day. God informs our conscience of his grace when we can't overcome our guilt. Many times as young believers, we struggle, we wrestle, right? We've, we've, we're new to the faith, we're infants, we're adults sometimes, but yeah, influence spiritually and it's hard. Right? Because the, our walk as an infant in Christ doesn't look nothing like our walk as a mature Christian because we've had to get there. Right? My kids can't hold a job and pay bills and do all those things. They're not there yet. It can't be expected, but they're my kids. They bear my name. Right? And so many times, many times, our heart will condemn us. But faith comes in here. We can have faith, right? We can have faith that, 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 that He is greater than our hearts and that He knows everything. Whether we're misinformed or whether we're just guilty in our sin and can't overcome it, God is greater than our heart. And if we are in Him, if we are in Him, we need to know that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, right? If you belong to Him, there is... No condemnation, none, for Christ took upon himself the condemnation that you deserve for your sin. You are free in Christ Jesus. There is no more. He is greater. He is greater than your heart, and he knows everything, right? Maybe you're in that place. 
Maybe you're in that place of guilt, right? And with guilt comes depression, right? Uh, uh, with, with this guilt is a lack of peace. Is that you? Do you lack peace? Because our God is the Prince of Peace. If we struggle with depression as a Christian, we have failed to understand who our Father is and trust. And I pray that your faith would be encouraged. That you would not wallow in your sin. That you would not not be like the, the son who went off to a faraway land and wound up in a pig's pen with wallowing in mud, eating the food of the pigs, but that you would remember who your father is in return, knowing that he is greater than your heart. The enemy doesn't want you to have peace with God. God is greater than your heart. When? You find yourself in this situation. And you question, do I really have assurance? Because I sure feel guilty. The fact that God overcomes your guilt restores you as he did Peter. Restores you time after time again. This is assurance of God's love and grace towards you. He doesn't leave you in your sin. He doesn't allow you to be defeated continually by the enemy. You belong to him. He will lift you out of that miry clay. You are seated with him in heavenly places and he will not abandon you. He will not abandon your soul to Sheol, as David says, but he will pull you out every time because he's greater than your heart. That is assurance of his love and grace towards you. That is assurance of your salvation. Number two, the Lord gives confidence to those with a clear conscience. He says, beloved in our heart, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Right. This is this is where we want to get to ultimately. Right. As we mature in Christ, it's not that we don't sit guilty in our sin for weeks or for days or for we, we, we have come to understand, we, we have walked with God, and we have come to understand that He is quick and just to forgive us of our sins. Right? We have come to understand what John said in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm writing these things, little children, so that you may not sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and we know that we can come before Jesus and that we can ask for forgiveness and that He is quick and He is just to forgive us of that sin and we carry on in Christ. Right? Our heart doesn't condemn us anymore. Right? And that's not because we have reached perfection, because that just doesn't happen. <laughs> right? We will be like him when we see him. Until then, we're grinding it out. Right? We're, we're seeking to be like him. We're growing in holiness. I am not the same as I was 14 years ago when I got married. Ask my wife. She'll verify that for you. Right? I'm not the same person, right? I'm not the same person as I was last year. We grow. We're becoming more and more like Christ. And, and we, 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 um, we know our heart no longer condemns us. Still we repent. 
We still we sin, right? But we have a clear conscience, right? Because we've we've grown, right? Uh, time after time, the Lord has taken us out of that miry clay. The Lord has picked us up out of our anxiety or depression or whatever the enemy throws at us. We have sinned and felt bad for our sin, and we have been restored and renewed and made anew. And and this has been a process of our life because we all fall short. And soon enough. We learn we have confidence. We can come confidently before the throne of grace. Our heart no longer condemns us because we've come to know that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then when we do sin, we do have an advocate. Are we to continue in sin? Paul says, by no means. That's not the point. We're seeking to grow in righteousness. That's the, that's the point. That's how we have assurance, right? We are practicing righteousness. Not practicing sin, but practicing righteousness and practicing our love for one another. We're, we're growing in our love for one another. That, that's the context. So in so doing, we're going to fall. Right? We're going to fail, but our heart no longer condemns us. And we have confidence. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I, I, I want my kids to have confidence. Right. I want them to know, don't even have to question. Dad's going to feed me. Dad's going to clothe me. Dad's going to care for me. All these things. All I got to do is enjoy is enjoy my home, my family and grow. Right. We we should have that confidence with God. Right. We should have that confidence with God that he cares for us, that he loves us that he provides for us, that all our needs are met, that we lack in nothing, and that there is an inheritance that awaits us because we have a good father, right? The man who has a clear conscience has confidence towards God in this way. He knows that he is the Lord's and that God loves him. He knows that God does not seek to harm him and raises a standard against the enemy who would like to harm him, right? He knows that God is blessing him and will continue to bless him. He knows that God is his father and his friend, and he therefore goes to God in great confidence about his troubles and tells them all to him. We have a loving father, right? When we come to understand that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, when we come to, to the place to where our heart no longer condemns us, not because we've reached any level of perfection, but because we have faith in Jesus Christ and His person and work. When our heart no longer condemns us, we have a confidence before God. We have a confidence in Christ. Right? And yet we ought to know if our, confidence, our, our, our conscience is ruled by God. We ought to know that, right? Maybe you, some of you have laid down in bed at night and wondered, man, did I lock the door? <laughs> right? And you just, after a second, you're like, yeah, I can't take it anymore. I got to go check, right? There might be a boogeyman out there. So we go and we get up and we go check the door, right? If it's that serious... Ought we be much more serious concerning our souls, 
You ought to know whether or not you have a clear conscience. You ought to know whether or not you love God, right? Whether you are ruled by God. Second Peter 1 says this, uh, Starting in verse five, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and uh, and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadiness, steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, uh, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Are, are you are you found with with faith? Do you have faith in Christ? Right. Are, are, is there virtue? Right. Is there, are you growing in knowledge and are in self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love are these attributes that are present in your life? You ought to know. If you love God. If you love God, these are attributes that will be present in your life and you can have confidence in God, right? So one, when Christ pulls us out of that place, because our heart does condemns us and he shows that, that he is greater than our heart, we can have assurance for the fact that he has expressed his love to us and pulling us out of that place. Number two, we can have confidence, we can have assurance of salvation because our heart is not condemned, but he is upholding us and giving us confidence to come before his throne of mercy and grace. We have assurance in Christ. Second, we will know when we do what pleases him. 22 and 23, he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandments, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Right. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. This one gets twisted, don't it? <laughs> Got an amen. It does. Right. Oh, Lord, I want a Ferrari and 10 million. Please give it to me. Right? That's that's. <laughs> the context here is growing in righteousness and love. Right? Um, David said that pray that delight ourselves in the Lord and he'll give us the desires of our heart. David also said that the desire of his heart was for his name and his renown, his remembrance. Right? He will give us what we ask for because we have confidence to come before him. This is in regards to our assurance. This is in regards to the will of God and the mission that Jesus has given to his church to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples, right? 
baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that He's taught us. Right? That, that, that's, that's the mission of the church. That's our mission, right? And He warned us that, as Pastor James, I think, brought out last week in John 15, 18, that if the world, the world hates me, know that it's going to hate you too. That can make for some hard days. Right? That can make for some hard days and we can come and ask the Lord anything. And if we are coming before Him in confidence of who He is and who we are in Him, He'll give us what we ask. Right? I was begging the Lord to say something through me today. I feel like a moron every time I come up here. Like I, because I can't do it. Right? We ask of the Lord, Lord, Help me in this sin, and He helps us to overcome sin. We pray, Lord, help me to understand this Scripture, and He helps us to understand Scripture. Lord, give me an opening and a way, and slap me in the head when it's time to witness to this person. Make a way. Lord, work in me. Help me to be able to speak to people concerning my faith, and He'll do it. Ask anything according to His will, and He will do it, right? That's, that's what's going on here. That's what we, that, that, that we, we come from a place of, of thinking we're condemned when we're really not because He's greater than our heart. To, to, he brings us to a place of confidence, and from a place of confidence, we now know that we can come to Him and ask anything in prayer, and He will grant that for us according to his will and his purpose right and then he says because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him right we will know when we do what he pleases in other words we will have assurance when we do what he pleases right and the first point that we see here in regards to what pleases god is one giving up our will for his giving up our will for his this is what jesus did Looky here, John 8, 29, or 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority. But speak just as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus said, I didn't come in my own authority. Right? It, it's, it's not my authority. And all I do, all that I speak is what the Father taught me. And all that I do is to please Him, the Father. Right? First is giving up our will. Right? The temptation that we're warned about here is loving the world and the things of the world. Right? In chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. That is the temptation. We have been called out of this world, right? He has brought us out of this world into the kingdom of his beloved son. We belong to another kingdom now. We're no longer of the world. We're just in the world. And now we have a new purpose as children of God, right? And, and now there's still the constant temptation of being dragged back into the things of the world. And it's what we've been warned against. And our flesh desires that. And we can't wait till our flesh is no more and we have a new body, right? But until then, there's a battle that, it is, that is going on. We have to realize that we're no longer of this world, right? We surrender our will to His, and that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. Back when, when wars were fought on horses, 
They would send men out to collect these wild stallions, these wild mustangs and wild horses, right? And they would bring them all in and they would corral them all up. And they would keep them corralled up and some would just go crazy in the corral and and get trampled to death and some would jump the corral and and some they just they they they, they would never come down and they would cut them loose until they got down to those ones that kind of somewhat contain themselves. All right, we can start here. Right? And they would they would they would put them in a round pen, right? And begin to work with them. And the purpose was to break their will because they wanted to be out there where it was wild and free and nobody instructed them in nothing. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. And no man can tell me. And no God can tell me. I'm wild and free. And they had to break the spirit of that. Right? So they put them in the round pen and begin to work with them and work with them and work with them and work with them and work with them. And soon... This wild horse whose will has, is being broken comes to realize one day that this master loves me. The food's better. He cares for me. He talks to me. He works with me. He rubs me down. He massages me. The master's good. Right? We will know, we will have assurance when we do what pleases him and what pleases him is when we submit our will, that will of the flesh that wants to be wild and free, and we turn and say, no, you're a good master who loves me, cares for me, provides for me, sustains me, and has a greater plan for me than my fleshly desires, right? Number two, believing Jesus is enough. We please God when we believe that Jesus is enough. He says, uh, he says that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, right? John, John 6, 27 through 29 says, do not work for the food that perishes. Same chapter as our, as our opening this morning, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, right? So here you have scribes and Pharisees and just the Jewish people, right? That he's, Jesus has recently fed 5,000. They've come for more that was really cool we want to see some more of this right and and they have this idea that we have to earn our salvation right that we have to follow uh the the commands and guidelines and all these 630 something 40 something laws set forth and we have to do it perfectly we have to earn salvation in a sense right and it's 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 i love what jesus says here he said they said to him what must we do to be doing the works of god what must we do Listen to what Jesus says. He answers them. This is the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God. That you believe that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. And there are many today. They probably won't confess it, but that's in their speech. That's in many ministers preaching. It's in. It's, it's, it plagues still the church yet today that there's something that you must do to earn heaven. Right? That there's some thing that you must follow. Right? That there's some standard that you must meet. Brothers and sisters, you can't meet it. Right? Many believe they must earn heaven. What assurance rests in your works? What assurance do you have if you have accomplished something? If you have earned heaven? What assurance do you have? Right? 
Brothers, sisters, Jesus is enough. Right? You can't earn it because you've sinned. And your sin has separated you from God. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice had to be spotless, without blemish, perfect. We all have missed the mark. None of us are good enough, but Christ was. Christ sent his son, right? Who is the spotless lamb of God, right? Just John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was finally one who met, that was acceptable to God. He was righteous. He was perfect. He lived according to God's standard. He went to a cross willingly and became a sufficient propitiation, a sufficient sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. There has been no other. There is but one, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right? Just him. We please God when we put our faith and when we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, knowing that he is more than enough. And that is a big statement because we must do that every day. If the gospel gets old to you, there's something wrong. I need it every day. You need it every day. It, it, was the, it is the gospel that brings us in to the family of God. It is the gospel that keeps us into the family of God. And it is the gospel that we will eternally exalt in His presence for all eternity. Jesus Christ. All points to Jesus Christ for all eternity. He will be glorified. He is enough. And when we believe that, that pulls us out of that miry clay. You can't walk in guilt when you know who Jesus is for too long. We know how good of a Savior He is, right? You, 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 don't, you don't try to earn something, some favor with God when you know how good God is, when you know how good Christ is. Because you know you can't accomplish it. You trust and you continue to try to be like Him, right? Third, third we please Him when we love God's family. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. We covered this last week. I think this is why the world is fascinated with heroics. We memorialize 343 firefighters and I forgot how many police officers that gave their lives when the Twin Towers fell, right? It's heroics. It's like we, we look at that and go, oh, that's a sacrificial love, right? That, that's so sacrificial, right? There's such honor for those service members who don't come home because of their sacrifice. We, we just have this high esteem and regard for that which is sacrificial. Right? But genuine love is sacrificial, but not all sacrifices are motivated by love. Right? It's not to take away from the heroics, but the world does not understand love. The world does not know what love is. To the world, the love is a feeling. It is an emotion and it's temporal. God defines love and love is sacrificial. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than one lay down his life for his friends. 
And how did God demonstrate love? And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was his demonstration of love. Love is sacrificial. Love is an action, not just a feeling. Certainly it is an emotion, but it is an emotion that, 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 that always results in an action. And that action is always sacrificial. Loving God's family pleases Him. Loving God's family pleases Him. We have assurance when we love God's family because we're talking about God's children. If I have an offense against you, or if I do something or say something to you that is not in love, that's God's child I'm talking to. That's a serious offense. How how would you deal with somebody talking evil towards your own children? Right? We're talking about God's children here. But rather, we're called to love sacrificially. That means if you have like a personality conflict with one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to have to be sacrificial and get over it and love your brothers and sisters. Right? If, If your brother or sister in Christ has wronged you, Do not hold that offense, but rather go to them. Tell them their offense and be reconciled because sacrificial love is necessary because love is sacrificial, right? And we have assurance in Christ when we please Him. We have assurance when our will is being conformed to His will. We have assurance that we are saved when we believe in in the gospel of Jesus Christ and put our trust and faith in Him and Him alone, not our own works, right? And we have assurance of our salvation when we have come to love in the same sacrificial way that He showed His love to us by laying down His life as we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And fourth, or third rather, we will know when God rules our conscience. We will know when we do what pleases Him. And lastly, we do know because only the Spirit can produce righteousness in you. Only the Spirit of God can produce righteousness in you. He says in verse 24, whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit of whom he has given us by the spirit whom he has given us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, what we know by this, we have assurance that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I was thinking of the, Story of the rich young ruler earlier this morning, right? This, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life or enter the kingdom, right? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? For no one is good but God alone. Right? And so to think that there is any good in us is wrong, right? Because there is nobody good but God alone. And if we are conducting ourselves in righteousness, if, if there is... If we are growing, if, if we are doing good and it's godly, we didn't produce it because there is none good but God alone. Right? Only God is godly. Only God is godly. 
The Spirit, however, produces His fruit in us. Right? I'm not good with horticulture. I'm horrible with like what bark is what tree, what leaf is what tree. But come about July, I can tell you what kind of tree it is. That's a pecan. You know how I know? Because there's pecans. Right? That's an apple. That's a pear tree. That's all the trees I have in my place, so I don't know any others. Mulberry. Right? I mean, you know, when you see the fruit, there's no denying what the tree is. Right? Galatians 5, 23 tells us the fruitfulness that comes from the abiding Holy Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right? Not the emotional feeling thing alone, but that sacrificial action, that sacrificial love that is exemplified in the person of Christ, not the counterfeit that the world says, that emotion that's temporal, right? The, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy. Not the counterfeit temporal happiness that everybody seems to be trying to grab hold of and maintain all their days. That's fleeting. And we're talking about joy, a joy that comes because now there's peace with God and I have an eternal inheritance. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what happens to me in this life because the moment I close my eyes in death, I'm going to be with my Lord and I'm going to have an, an eternal bliss and a rewards. Joy. The world doesn't have that. Right? That is a fruit of the Spirit. Of peace. Patience. Kindness, not the counterfeit. What's that word? Tolerance. Right? But genuine peace with God. Uh, uh, genuine patience. Uh, allowing the, the Lord to work in and through us, right? We don't become mature overnight. We, we, we don't... Right. God is God is doing a work and he's doing it piece by piece by piece by piece. And we have patience. We long for his coming, but we wait eagerly wait. Yet we're doing the will of him. Right. As we wait, we're patience and kindness, not not, not a not a tolerant kindness, but a genuine kindness that appreciates God's creation and desires that all men might come to faith. Right. Goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If these things are evident in your life, they can only be evident because the spirit of God is in you. The world can't produce that. If you bear the fruit of the spirit, if, if your tree is, has fruit on it and it looks like this, you can have assurance that it is the Spirit of God that is producing that in you. So long as it's not the counterfeit and we be deceived. Right? But we're talking about genuine love and joy that's not temporal but lasting. Nothing can take it from you in sickness and in, 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 in turmoil in whatever circumstance you find your, li your life in, that joy cannot be taken away. That, that can only come by the Holy Spirit. Right? Right. We, 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 we. <laughs> and lastly, the spirit is our seal. Right. 
If you bear the Spirit, the Spirit is your seal. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the power of God unto salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. If you are saved, if you have heard the the word of truth, if you have heard the gospel, right? And it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, right? Grace came, you recognized it. The Holy Spirit came, delivered to you faith. You responded to the word of God by the spirit of God through by his grace in faith and believed upon him. You have seen your sin. You have repented confessed Christ, come to the saving faith in Christ, you are now sealed with the Spirit. Nebuchadnezzar once put a seal on a document and he was bound by it. Anybody remember Daniel in the lion's den, right? Oh, it grieved him when he found out he was tricked, but he had done placed his seal. It was irrevocable that God showed up, right? When God puts his seal on you, it is irrevocable. The spirit is your seal. He says. He says that and by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you bear the spirit of God, if he has sealed you and if the spirit is working in you, if you are growing in grace, if he has revealed to you the goodness of the gospel and has saved you, and you are working out your salvation, whether your heart condemns you and he pulls you out of that place because he's greater than your heart and brings you to a place of, of confidence. When he, when he, you know, then, then we begin to live a life that is pleasing to God as we begin to take our will, that, that wild and free will, and to set it aside to become formed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we are clinging to his good news, his gospel, the fact that he and he alone is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. And we're trusting in him, walking in that, right? As, as we, as we, uh, as we come to, to realize that, 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 that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are real family, genuine family, family that really knows love and we are loving and serving one another. As as we are serving Christ, we are serving one another because Christ is in them. And we've come to understand that they are the children of God and we are the children of God. We will be with one another eternally and we should act like it right now. And as we do so, we come to see that the Spirit of God has indwelt us and that He has produced producing his fruit in us, that God is being glorified in us and that the spirit is our seal. Here's the point, brothers and sisters, when you understand and cling to and grasp a hold of the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ, God is glorified by your assurance. God is glorified when you have assurance of the work that he performed on your behalf. And there is eternal reward for walking in that assurance when we live for his name, when we live for his remembrance. And when we seek to glorify him, right? I hope and I pray that over the last months, you have walked through the test with us. 
that you have tested yourself to see if you be in the faith. And I pray that you would see this assurance, that you would come to understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and that you would live for His glory every day of your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Father, thank You for the assurance that You promise. There are, there are many believers, sadly, Lord, today that don't understand or know that they can have assurance, and that's heartbreaking, Lord. To be an adopted son and daughter of God and not understand your legal right. I thank you, O oh God, that you have brought us to the knowledge of your son and the assurance that comes from being a child of God. And I pray that... Father, you would help us for those who are depressed, are guilty, who are without peace this day, O oh God. You are the Prince of Peace, and you bring peace. You give peace between God and man, and I pray that they would understand that that's all they need. And whatever turmoil is in this life, it's all temporary, Lord. For if we have peace with you, then there is no other peace needed. Father, I pray that you would give us confidence as we navigate through this life, as, as we do fall short from time to time, that we would be confident, we could come boldly before your throne, and that we could ask for your forgiveness, and we know that you are quick, immediate, and just to forgive us of our sin as we seek to become more like you. And I pray that's the desire of our heart, Lord, is that we would conform our will to yours. And Lord, ultimately, I ask you that you would be glorified in and through this gathered people as we grow in our love for one another, it blesses my heart to witness. More importantly, it blesses your heart, oh God, as we show love for one another. And I pray that we would increase in that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.